0: So things change. Over time, give it enough time and things are going to change from what they were to what they are. In fact, in 1986, about the time that that video was rolling, wherever it was rolling, I don't know where it was rolling, but when that time was filmed and rolling, that was also the same time that this church was coming into existence. And 36 years ago, Kansas City looked a little different. The Kansas City Royals were coming off a championship season. They were playing on on a thin AstroTurf field at the K and, and now, 36 years later, they're a team that's searching for some wins, playing on a thick grass, natural grass field, getting ready to move to a downtown stadium because things change, right? Speaking of downtown, things have changed down there too. That over the past 36 years, 36 years ago, Kansas City didn't yet have all that excitement and revitalization of things like the new Power and Light District or the the revamped T-Mobile Center or the Kauffman Center for the Performing Arts, bringing all of that new excitement and energy downtown. Because over time, things change. 36 years ago, Olathe was Olathe. Olathe was just a town on the outskirts of metropolitan Kansas City with less than 40,000 people, which is almost a fourth, definitely less than a third of how big Olathe is now. Because over time, things change. I would think that 36 years ago, if you're that old, that your life looked a little different 36 years ago, right? In fact, maybe just think back to what you and your life looked like 36 years ago. To help you out, here's a picture of me 36 years ago. This is... This is Brad Herndon's first, grade, first day of second grade. No, it's the beginning of school season. Uh, I mean, what a fit, right? That fit is fire. Did I say that right? Uh, I should've, someone should have told me, hey, hold on to those pleated short shorts because they're making a comeback, you know? But things have changed. Now, because I'm not the only one who's changed, we have a couple other pastors who are on our lead team of pastors. Here is Dan Jacobson, 36 years ago. That's not you? Well, you never sent me a picture, so I had to go find something on Google. That's the best I could come up with. Uh, We have another uh, pastor on our lead team, Craig Cheney. This is actually a picture of Craig 36 years ago. Here's this guy. Who says that Tom Selleck is the only one who could boast a cool mustache? Craig Cheney knows where it's at. My bet is, my guess is that your life looks a little different than it did 36 years ago because things change over time. You've changed, I've changed, our city has changed. But in the midst of all of these changes, anything that changes, in the midst of all of those changes, there are things that don't change. And it may be the things that don't change, the unchanging things about us that really make us who we are. And so over the course of this month, as Michelle said, we have been in a series looking at the unchanging aspects of who Heartland has been over the past 36 years, the unchanging aspects of who we are, who we're still becoming, because just like cities and people, things change with churches too. Locations change, buildings change, the color of the walls change, pastors change, music styles change, how we do the things that we do changes. But what we do, what we exist to do, and why we do those things, well, those things never change. And those unchanging things help give us the clearest glimpse of who we are as a church. So each of these four weeks, and today's the fourth one, we've been sharing one of our what we've been calling core heartbeats these things that we have held tightly to, that have pulsed strong in our veins, no matter where we've been in town, no matter what pastor has led the charge here, no matter what the paint color on the walls have been, we've been sharing about these core heartbeats of who we are. That that we have. This is what we've learned in the first three weeks. That we help people as a church. We help people find God. That just be, just like Jesus came into the world to remove the obstacle of, of sin so that we can experience the love of God in our life, we too as a church wanna remove whatever obstacles that we can that keep people from churches like ours to be able to hear and receive that message of good news of Jesus, that we help people find God. That we also have a heartbeat to help people find their people, that we believe that this is better together, that our best experience of life and faith are when we do it with other people. That that's core, that that's in our heart. And then last week we talked about how we help people make a difference here and near and far. Now, these things are so important Because when we talk about who we are as a church, we're not just talking about a building, we're not just talking about a few key staff or pastors or even a set of ideas. And as you've been listening to this series, hopefully what you're learning is what we're talking about is us. We're talking about you, we're talking about me, we're talking about the people in this room, the people who are watching online, wherever you are right now. We're talking about us. So, if you're newer to Heartland, then hopefully this series has given you a chance to be able to be clear on who we are as a church and what you're looking in on from the outside. And you get to explore is this a place? Is this a community that I want to call home? And maybe if you're listening to this series and you've been around for a long time here around Heartland, it's given you a chance to consider is this my home? Is this my community? Are these my heartbeats and is this a church that I wanna live out and grow in these heartbeats with? So today we're getting to talk about one final fourth heartbeat and it's the most important heartbeat that we have because this fourth heartbeat is actually what is the source of what guides all of these other heartbeats that without this fourth heartbeat, these wouldn't matter. And we've saved it for last because of that. But before I tell you what this heartbeat is, I want to jump into a passage of Scripture together because it really, it really shows us why this heartbeat is so important. We're going to be in Luke 9 for a little bit this morning. It's a story in Jesus' life that shows up in a couple of the Gospels. It's near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he's been out as a young rabbi teaching a new kind of message. And it like typically happens when new young rabbis emerge on the scene. They begin to kind of build a following. And people will come up, this is natural, they'll come up and say, hey, can I follow you? Can I, can I learn from you? this message that you're preaching. And so Luke records some of the encounters, three guys who come up and talk to Jesus. And here's how Luke records this. He says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay its head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied to Jesus, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, well, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another man said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Can I admit something? I don't really like this passage of scripture. I don't like harsh Jesus. And it seems like that's what Jesus is being in this passage, right? It seems like here are these guys who want to come up, who want to learn from him, who want to follow him, and Jesus gives them these really strange, odd statements that makes it really hard for them to do so. But even as I say that, I have to remember, and if he comes across harsh to you in that way, you have to remember with me that Jesus has this distinct advantage of being God, right? (laughs) So he knows what's going on in the hearts of every one of these guys. And it's not so much that he's being harsh with them. But he's actually being helpful. He poses to each of them a question to help them see that for each of them, there is something that matters more to them than anything else. He helps them see that there is something that comes first in their life before anything else. And so the first guy says to Jesus, he says, well, I will follow you wherever you go, which is a pretty bold statement. So Jesus says back to him this weird line about foxes and birds. He's saying foxes have dens and birds have nests. Basically, even the animals of the earth have a place to call home to rest their head. But the son of man, he says, he says, if you're gonna follow me, there's no home, there's no pillow, there's no comfort in where we're going. So what matters more to you? A place to call home, or the uncertainty of what's ahead with me? Which one matters more to you? What will you put first in this journey? Second guy comes up and says to Jesus, First, I want to follow you, but first let me go and bury my father, which feels like a really legitimate request, right? Like if you're working a job and you have a parent who, uh, who is having a funeral one day and your boss doesn't allow you to use some time off to go to that funeral, you would probably be searching for a new job. So why is Jesus being so harsh with this guy? Well, there's a couple of things that could be going on. We're not sure, but a couple of things that could be going on. One is in first century Judaism, it would be customary, it would be expensive and important for the oldest son to make sure that he stayed home with his father until his father passed away and that he would not leave home. That was his obligation. That was the expectation. But that could be years or decades from when this guy is coming to Jesus. He's saying, hey, let me go home. Let me, let me help my father live out the rest of his life. And then I'm going to f- come find you wherever you're at and, uh, and I'll follow you then. The second thing that that could be going on is that this guy's father has actually died or he's very close to dying. And he's saying to Jesus, hey, I want to follow you. I have this really important thing happening right now and I need to go home and attend the funeral of my father. So either way, in either circumstance, here's what Jesus is revealing to this guy. He's saying, what matters more to you? Following me or fulfilling your obligation to your family. And this guy has to, has to wrestle with that question of what is he going to make most important in his life. Third guy, he says to Jesus, he says, hey, first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. This, this probably could just be down the road. He's saying, I just want to go back and say goodbye and then I'll catch up with you, with you guys down the road. That seems legitimate, doesn't it? But Jesus says back to him, he says, no one plows a field. I know they may have done a lot of farming in Olathe back in the day, but we don't do a lot of farming today. Maybe we don't know what that means. No one plows a field, you know, looking backward. You can't plow in a straight line if you're looking back the whole time. And so Jesus is saying this guy, to this guy, you can't be what's about what's ahead of you if you're anchored to something in the past. So what matters more to you? What's ahead with me? or something that's back in your past. See, Jesus isn't being harsh with these guys. He doesn't turn away any of these guys. He actually helps them see that there was something for each of them that mattered more to them than anything else. Because Jesus knew this one core foundational principle of life, and it's something that he wanted these guys to know, and it's something that he wants us to know too. And here's here's what that principle is. That what you make first matters most. What you and I make first in our lives matters most to us. What you make first, of the 27, 30, 40 different priorities that you have in your life that are competing for first place in your life, there is one that you're gonna make first. And because that one thing is first, it means all of the other things aren't first. And so what you make first, that determines what you're all about, determines what you're not about, determines what you'll give up everything else for, And it especially determines what you're gonna be known for. And so if you make being successful at your job or or at school first, that's gonna affect your family. That desire to be successful is gonna affect your health, it's gonna affect your friendships. If you make making money the most important thing in your job or on your team or in your business, then because you're making that first, that'll determine how you lead that team, that'll determine how you make decisions, it will determine who you hire, how you manage them, if you, if you make your kids and their interests first in your life, if that's what matters more to you, most to you in this season than anything else, then that priority will determine what your week looks like and how you spend your money and where you are on the weekends. If you make your physical health first, you get it, right? Now, now hear me, I am not dogging any one of these things. These are not bad things. The point is, the point here is that whatever you make first in your life, Will give more. You will give that one thing more power and influence over the rest of your life than anything else. And right now in your life, whether you know it or not, Jesus would look at you and he would pose you a question to help you see that there is something, whether you know it or not, there is something that you and I, and it'll be different for all of us, are making first in our lives. This is why we as a church have this fourth heartbeat, And we saved it for last because, like I said, it really matters more among all of the four heartbeats because without it, the others uh, really don't matter at all. Because this fourth heartbeat is what guides the other three. And here's what this fourth heartbeat is, that we as a church here at Harlan, we help people make Jesus first. That 36 years ago, when this church was barely over a couple of dozen people meeting in the basement of a home north of here, that they had this core desire for, at the end of the day, for this church really to be about one thing, to be about Jesus. And so a couple years ago, uh, our leadership took this heartbeat to heart, <laughs> And we decided to reflect this heartbeat so clearly by crafting a new mission statement that put this heartbeat front and center. So here's our mission statement as of a couple years ago, that we make space. Here at Heartland, we exist. Our mission is that we make space for building relationships to make Jesus first. Because 36 years later, after this church was started, we look around our world and we see a world that is running faster than ever. We see people's lives that are more crowded than ever. We see people living lives that are lonelier and more disconnected and divided than ever. And we see lives that are flourishing less than ever. And so as a church, we feel like our very reason for existence is that we would help people make space in their busy and crowded lives. That they would make space to build relationships, to know and be known by one another, to be supported and to support one another because we've learned that the most impactful thing in your life and my life are these relationships. And it's in those relationships that we learn, that we practice, that we help one another make Jesus more important in our life than any other thing, that we help one another make Jesus first, amen? i set you up for that, how can you not amen that? Like, like of course, Like, what, how, you know, we help people make Jesus first, but what does that really mean? What does that look like? Because like any mission statement, like any phrase that's on a wall of a place where you work or something on your home or something, some words that you believe to be important to you, they can be just words. What do we do with them? Like Dan said last week, the difference is in the doing. So how do these not just be things that we preach about that we put on our website, but how do we actually live them out? Do we really know what it means to make Jesus first? I want to make sure we do. And so I'm going to spend the rest of our time this morning just helping us get a picture of what it really truly means to make Jesus first. And here's, here's the first thing, that making Jesus first means it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. That we're making Jesus more important than anything else. In, uh, in 2003, there became a book that, that came out on the scene, and the first four words of this book was, it's not about you. This book would go on on to be an all-time bestseller. It's The Purpose Driven Life by pastor-author Rick Warren. It would sell over 50 million copies, be published in 85 different languages. And I was reading an interview uh, with with Rick Warren years later after this book had had all its success, and he was sharing about how astonished he was that one of the most successful best-selling books of all time was a book that began with one of the most counter-cultural statements of all time. Because this statement, these four words right here go against every wind of our culture today, that we live in a culture that makes it all about us, that makes it, that tells you it's all about you. Go, find yourself, be yourself, prove yourself, make a name for yourself. And to suggest anything other than that, it feels un-American. But this isn't just an American condition that we have. This is a human one. Parents... Toddlers, parents, you're trying to help your toddlers toddlers realize this right here. You're trying to help your kids and your teenagers grow, and that's what maturity and wisdom looks like, realizing, helping them realize, hey, it's not all about you. You know, if you are leading a company, you're leading a team, you want the kind of people on your team who realize, hey, it's not about you. There's something bigger at work here. We're doing this together. There's a common goal that we're trying to work toward. Because none of us like being around people who think it's all about them, right? Maybe you say amen to that. Yeah. Here's the problem. We are those people. We have this in all of us. To some extent, and some of our greatest frustrations in life are because it's, it's not as much about us as we wish that it would be. So, um, we were at the ocean earlier, actually, uh, before I tell you that, last night, this is, I don't know why I'm telling you this, I probably shouldn't, we should cut this from the tape. Uh, Last night, my son, we were going to watch a movie, and he said, hey, can we watch Anchorman? Uh, You know, Will Ferrell. And as much as I wanted to say yes, I was like, this probably isn't the best parenting move to watch Anchorman with my my teenage son. I was like, maybe in 10, 15, 20, 30 years, I'll sit down and watch this with you. But I kind of wanted him to see one scene where, where um, Ron Burgundy, played by Will Ferrell, wants to assure everyone at a party that he's kind of a big deal. You know that line? That he has many leather-bound books, he smells of rich mahogany and leather. Because um, he's living out in exaggerated form. What we, what we want the world to know about us is that we kind of walk around a little bit saying, I'm kind of a big deal. We don't like being around those people, but sometimes we are those people. So, uh, several months ago, earlier this year, we were at the ocean with uh, some extended family, and we were watching the ocean tide come in and out every single day. And I have a a, a young five-year-old niece who was asking why the ocean was shrinking. And I told her, well, the ocean isn't shrinking, it's just shifting. That the ocean is kind of like a big rug on the face of the earth and, and it's just being slid back and forth during the course of a day. And, and she said, well, why is that? What's pulling the ocean back and forth? And I said, well, it's, it's the moon. That the moon has this force, this gravitational pull that as the earth is spinning toward and away from the moon, that, that, that the, the moon has this force that kind of pulls the ocean back and forth and it looks like it's shrinking, but it's just kind of sliding a little bit. It's a really hard thing for five-year-olds to understand. Um, She's still working on the whole gravity thing, so it might not have taken. But, But the point is, even something as massive, as majestic, as powerful as the ocean lives in something that is more powerful than it is. And this is the challenge that we have in life. That in order for us to remember, to realize, to truly accept that it's not about us, means that we have to really, really learn what it is that we live in relation to, what that big, massive thing that it really is truly about is. And so here in the New Testament, there's a letter written to a group of churches called the Colossians. And Pastor Paul, the writer of this letter, sends in this first chapter, just wants to make clear, I want to, want to make sure you know just how big of a deal Jesus is. Because that's where we really get our perspective. That's when we really learn that it's not about us. So here's how he writes this. Just listen to Paul's words here. He says, the son, speaking of God, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn, meaning meaning he has all of the supremacy, all of the rights of a firstborn, but he is the firstborn over all of creation. He is over and above everything. Everything. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created for him or through him and for him. He says that he, Jesus, is before all things and in, all, in him, all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything, he, Jesus, might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul wants these readers, these churches, he wants us to know if anything is a big deal, it's Jesus. If it's going to be about anything, it's going to be about Jesus. Jesus. That we make Jesus first in our lives, because he already is first in the universe. We are simply aligning our lives with what is already true. But this is this is so hard for us. This is so hard because we have this desire for it to be about us. Going back a few years, this is this this desire to make it all about Jesus, this is one of the biggest things that brought me to Heartland. That I was so intrigued with a church who was willing to say, we don't want it to be about us. We want it to be about Jesus. In fact, they were so, the church, this church, you, were so serious about this, that the church was already before the transition of our last lead pastor, Heartland has been blessed to be led by two incredible godly lead pastors over the course of our history, and already before the transition of the last one, the leadership of our church was already in the midst of a long transition of moving from a church that's led by one lead pastor, by one senior pastor, like so many of us are used to, to becoming a church that's led by one team of pastors. One team of three pastors. Now, when the church decided to make that shift, a lot of people scratched their heads. They're like, what? How does, how does that work? A lot of people left the church. I said, Heartland dungon lost its mind. <laughs> Maybe you left the church. You came back. I don't know. But uh, because it's confusing. It'd be like, and I, and I get it. I'm not do- It's confusing. It'd be like if the Kansas City Chiefs replaced their head coach, Andy Reid, with three different coaches with different backgrounds, different you know, styles of play, different philosophies maybe, I don't know, different personalities. You would wonder, how is this gonna work? Who's gonna call the plays? Who's, who's, gonna, who's gonna run the team? Who's making the decisions? Who gets the credit at the end? Who do we blame if it's not working? And that would make sense, because that's football. That might not work in football. We're a church, and there is no organization on the face of the planet like a church. So we should be led and be willing to be led and operate differently than any other business or organization on the face of this planet because here's who we are. We and any church is a community of people empowered by God's Holy Spirit, living out the mission of Jesus in our lives and in this world for the glory of God. Should I say that again? (laughs) That we are unlike every other organization on this planet because our church and every church is a community of people empowered by God's Holy Spirit Fulfilling the mission of Jesus in our lives and in our planet for the glory of God. Amen. 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 So so here's 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 what I hope. Here's what I hope you realize this means for you. That it means that we don't want your faith to be attached to one person. We don't want your commitment to a church to be attached to one person. That if one person ever were to leave our church, no matter how great or how charismatic that they are, that it, wouldn't, that it wouldn't throw a speed bump in your relationship with God. That you don't look at one person and say, you know what, um, they're just not cutting it for me anymore, so I'm gonna go find another person to attach my faith to. That, that your understanding of God and your commitment to a church would be based on a community of people empowered by the Holy Spirit, fulfilling the mission of God in your life and in this world, all for the glory of God. And I love, I love that our lead pastor team, that I get to serve alongside two other fellows who who share this heartbeat, that at the end of the day, we don't care if you know our names. We don't wanna be a church, a team, either any of us don't wanna be known for anything unless it's gonna be to be known for Jesus. And I hope that you see this model, and we're not always gonna get it right. We're gonna make mistakes along the way. But I hope that the more you see us living into this as a church, that you're seeing it add health and strength to who we are as a church. Because because team leadership, this, this strange kind of way of going about things, this doesn't work, I'll tell you, it doesn't work without trust, without collaboration without humility, and if I can be honest, when I look at the state of the church today in our world, these are things that churches are so deeply in need of, trust and collaboration and humility, and I hope that we as a church begin to experience that more and more. And the only way that that's gonna happen is when we make it more about Jesus and less about ourselves that we care more about the name of Jesus than about my name or Dan's name or Craig's name or your name or the name of Heartland, amen? amen. So making Jesus first means it's not about you. Making Jesus first means also means there's something better for you. So the holdup that we have with, um, with it being not about us, we want it to be about us because we think we're the ones who know what's best for us, right? That's kind of what, what drives that desire. But here's what making Jesus first means. It means there's something better for you. You see, when Jesus came on the earth, here's how he summed up his whole his whole mission for coming to earth. He says in John 10:10, 10, 10, "I have come that they I have come that you," speaking, he says, "they, that's all of us. I have come that you and everyone around you may have life and may have it to the full." That Jesus knew even before coming to this planet, he knew that you and I would have a life that we long for. And he, gave to a give, he, he came to give us that abundant and satisfying life that our hearts most long for. Now, the problem is we don't know how to find that life. We try wealth, we try success, we try personal fulfillment, all of these things, and anyone who's ever gotten as much of those things as they can would tell you that's not it. Here's what we've learned over the years. The most abundant, abundant and fulfilling and satisfying life The one that Jesus came to give you and me is the one that's making Jesus first. That the more we make Jesus first in our life, the more we experience the life that our hearts long for. The more we make Jesus first in our life, the more that the people around us experience more of who Jesus is, more of his compassion and his grace, his power and his love. And so, as we talk about what does the Jesus first life actually look like, because we've been getting a lot of mileage out of this phrase over the past couple of years, but what is it really, what's a picture of that? We wanted to be as a leadership, we felt like one of the best things we could do is just create a really clear picture for all of us of what it means in your life and in mine to make Jesus first. And so, we came up with something, it comes right from scripture, it's, it's our attempt to create a picture of the Jesus first life. There's an invitation of Jesus to some disciples at the beginning of his ministry where he says to these fishermen in Matthew 4:19 he says come follow me and i will make you fishers of people it's kind of a strange invitation but remember he's on the side of a shore he's talking to these fishermen he knows a, a thing or two about their lives and and for one remember this is an invitation because a life that makes jesus first is 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 always an invitation it's never an obligation Jesus is extending an invitation to these guys. And there's a few things that I think are, are important. One is that he points to relationship. Come follow me. That a, a Jesus first life is all about relationship. But it's also about growth. He says, and I will make you. That there's a growth involved there. There's a journey. And then he says, fishers of people. And that's Purpose that a Jesus first life is a life of purpose, that he helps these fishermen find their purpose and his purpose. So we took this verse and we just kind of created a a three mark, we call it three marks of a Jesus first life that we have been teaching across all of our leadership teams, all of our community leaders, all of our serving team leaders. And over the next year, we're going to be developing more tools and training to help you grow in this Jesus first life. Because here's the three things we think it means. That making Jesus first means that you're connected to Jesus. That Jesus is not some distant and far-off God, you know, just giving orders and taking names. That he invites us close just as we are with our doubts and sin and all. That he's giving us space to explore our curiosities about him. He's giving us space to listen to his teaching, to practice his ways alongside him. And then, if we do come to a place of believing that he is who he says he is, which notice, isn't a requirement to be in relationship with him. But if we come to a place to where we do believe that he is that, then that relationship gets stronger and richer and deeper. But it's not just that we're connected to Jesus. Making Jesus first means that we're continually being changed by Jesus. So Jesus accepts you and I just the way that we are. But he also loves you and I too much to let us stay that way. He knows that when he looks in our lives that there are sins that need forgiving. That there are places of brokenness in you and your soul and your story that he wants to make whole. That there are wounds in your life that he knows need healing. And so slowly and graciously over time, Jesus goes about forming himself and his ways in you. And the point is that we could live like Jesus. None of us ever could. He was perfect. The point is that he's beginning to live his life through yours and mine. And then this third mark, that making Jesus first means that you and I are committed to the mission of Jesus. The reason why The Purpose Driven Life sold over 50 million copies in 85 languages is because people want to know their purpose. You and I, we want to know our purpose. And so we're willing to sit down and read a book that promises to tell us our purpose. And if we read that book, if we read the teachings of Jesus, what we would find out is that your purpose, my purpose, is only found in the purpose of Jesus. This means that we're using our lives, our homes, our careers to do what Jesus did that we're loving the lost and the least, we're comforting the sick, we're opening our lives to those who are far from his love and we're helping Jesus and his good news be known across our cul-de-sacs, across our, our, our uh, cultures, that we're helping his, him and his good news be known across our um, homes, our workplaces, our Sundays and our Mondays, that you and I are helping others hear Jesus' invitation to them, follow me. See, the Jesus first life is not a life that's a more moralistic life. It's not a life that's a more legalistic life. It's not a life that that is consumed with more activities at church. It's a life of you and I helping one another connect to Jesus, be changed by Jesus, be committed to the mission of Jesus. This is what we want. If you're wondering what's our agenda here at Harlan, this is it. It's nothing that we want from you. It's only what we want for you is that we want you to have a life of making Jesus first so that you can experience these things because what we've learned is that there is no life better than a life that is making Jesus first. In fact, this is the, this is the, the stories of so many people right here in this room, right here in this building. that I want you to hear the stories of a few people who are making Jesus first. The stories of people like Denny. Denny showed up at Heartland about 25 years ago at our old location at 8301. Denny was right in the midst of addiction, and he showed up at Heartland looking for help to buy Christmas presents for his kids because he couldn't afford any. And so here at Heartland, he found a people who walked with him to Jesus. And here at Heartland, he found recovery. He found Jesus. He found growth and healing. And now, 25 years later, Denny is leading our AA community so that other people here at Heartland and in our Olathe community, Overland Park, so that other people can find the same healing and relationship with Jesus that Denny himself found. It's people like Ashton. Ashton grew up here at Heartland. She was baptized in middle school. And now as she finishes out as a senior in high school, she's using her free time to be able to lead younger girls in our student ministry to help them know how to make Jesus first as they come into high school and then launch into their lives afterward. As people like Andrew, Andrew who realized that God had given him a pretty divine purpose as a husband and as a father to make Jesus first in his home. And so Andrew's hosting monthly fire pits and training other guys to do the same so that there are multiple circles of fellows around our community who are learning how to make Jesus first in their lives, in their homes, and in their families. It's people like Kayla and Chris. Kayla and Chris both went through their own divorce several years ago. They were raising their kids on their own. They found each other and they found Heartland and they decided that in this new chapter of their lives, they wanted to make their marriage different by making Jesus first. And this fall, they're starting a brand new community to help young couples avoid the mistakes that they feel like they made early on in their life. It's Rusty, who spent years building a company and then committed to lead that company as someone who's making Jesus first. And now Rusty and a handful of other people are preparing to launch a new Heartland community to help other leaders align their leadership with the character and the purpose of Jesus. There's a theme to these stories. That as these people are making Jesus first in their life, they're helping other people do this too. That they're creating spaces where people can build relationships to make Jesus first. This is what our communities are. If you've ever wondered what happens outside of these services, it's our Heartland communities. These are groups of, of people ranging from 10 people to 30 or 40 people that come together for all sorts of reasons, all sorts of common interests, from puzzles and games, to rock climbing, to hiking and running, to prayer, to all, all sorts of reasons in all sorts of places, but they all share one purpose, that they're making space to build relationships, to make Jesus first. And they're led by people like these people that I told you about, because these people know that making Jesus first means it takes more than you. That we can't do this on our own. That what you need, if you've wondered, what is it gonna take to make Jesus first in my life or more first? How do I just move him up the list? What, how do I do that? And so often we think, I just need more faith. I just need more teaching, more sermons, better teaching, better sermons. I need more conviction. I need more discipline. I need more strength against temptation. Let me tell you, you don't need any of those things. If you want to make Jesus first in your life, you don't need any of those things as much as you need community. You need more community. And you're thinking, I've got community. Then maybe what you need is more community that's actually helping you make Jesus first in your life because you're doing everything you know to do to live your best life. You're doing everything you know to do to have the richest experience of life in God possible. You're doing everything you know how to do to have your best marriage, to parent your kids in the best way. But if you really wanna give it your best, you're not gonna try to do it alone. That you need people in your life to help you shoulder that burden that you're carrying right now. That you need more community in your life to help you know how to follow Jesus when you're not sure what that looks like in the season that you're in or when you find yourself in that season where you, didn't, you don't even know if you want to follow Jesus. You need people in your life to help you follow Jesus, and they need you. And so listen, this is why we're here, Heartland. I said it a couple of weeks ago. Some of you are here, some of you came here because you love that this is an easy church to come to, because you can be as anonymous as you wanna be for as long as you can be, and it's true, you can. And we're never gonna force you into anything. But we're never gonna stop nudging you into something that's better for you. We're never gonna stop inviting you to explore more of the life that's available to you because when we know, when we've seen and experienced in our own lives and in others, that there is something more to give you more of the life that Jesus came to offer you, we're gonna continually invite you to take steps toward that. Because we know that you need more community to help you make Jesus first in your life. But let me tell you something. If there's something that we're not good at as a church, and we're kind of okay with this, we're not good at matchmaking. We're not matchmakers. We're not going to be able to help you find the perfect small group or the perfect best friend. We are not the e-harmony of your faith, unfortunately. And sometimes we expect the church to be that. We're not matchmakers. We're space makers. Everything we do, every ministry we offer, every activity that we hold, Every conversation that happens in that atrium, these are spaces that we're making possible so that you can find your people, so that you can make those connections, so that you can find or form the kind of community that you need to help you and other people make Jesus first in your life, which is why today in the atrium, we have more opportunities for you to connect and see what's happening around here at Heartland. That we have communities, like I said, that meet in all sorts of places and times with all sorts of people with different stories, but you can go and you can gather with other people and begin to grow in those relationships to support you, to know you, and to help you make Jesus first in your life. And if you're wondering, that's just a little too intimidating. I'm not sure if I can do that. I've hoped that you will, but if not, I'm going to give you an easy place to start. Here in a couple of weeks, we're starting a brand new series. And as we go through this series, it's going to carry us much through the fall. On Wednesday nights, we're going to be hosting something called Midweek. Midweek is essentially one big room full of tables where you can pull up a chair with other people to be able to to go deeper into that weekend's message. And it's not through a lot more teaching because if we're not growing in our faith, it's not because we don't have enough teaching. It's because we don't have enough community. And so we sit around tables and we look at the scriptures and we talk about the messages and we ask two key questions every week. We say, what is God teaching me? And what am I gonna do about it? How does this begin to make a difference in my life? And I'm gonna be there because I need more community in my life. I need more people in my life who are helping me follow Jesus and make him first in my life. So whether it's midweek, one of our Bible studies that's coming up this fall, one of our communities that are out there, maybe you have your own community of people who are gathering on your back porch or in a coffee shop on Saturday mornings and your focus is making Jesus first. I hope that you find something this fall to help you do that. Because if you're struggling to make Jesus first, it's not because you need another study or a sermon because you need more people in your life who want this for you too. So here's the challenge. If you want to make Jesus first in your life or even a little bit more first in your life, go find your community in the atrium to do it with. If this series has stirred in you a desire to make Heartland your church home, that those four heartbeats of helping people find God find their people, make a difference, make Jesus first. If this has stirred something in you, go find your community in the atrium because that is the best place to live out these heartbeats in those communities. If you want Heartland to be a church that is stronger than ever by living out these heartbeats, that they are pulsing in our veins, stronger than they ever have before, then it's gonna happen when we don't just talk about it, but when each of us are doing it. So go into the atrium and find your community that you might do it with this fall. And if you're already part of a community Here or in some other way, it's helping you make Jesus first. We don't care if the name of Heartland is stamped on it. We just want to see Jesus become first in your life. But if you are in a community that's helping you do that, you're not off the hook. I want you to go out to the atrium and help people find their community. I want you to go out there and tell them that your life is different and better because of that community, that you can go out there and find people because you know that you can't do it alone. And we want to help other people find their people to do it with too, because remember, What you make first in your life matters most. What you make first has more influence and more power on your life than anything else. And we need people in our life to help us make and keep Jesus first. So, will you stand? Let me pray for us as we wrap up this series now. God, I pray for us. I pray for us as a church that the things we've been talking about aren't just ideas, they can get a few amens on a weekend, but these are things that pull strong in our veins. And I pray for everyone here, God, you know every single one of them by name. You know their stories. You have a heart that is broken for them. You are deeply in love with them. And I pray that this morning that they would be willing to invite you in a deeper way into their life and to take a step into the life that you came to offer us. And so as we go from this place, Lord, would we go as a people, a community, who are following your mission in this world, who are empowered by your Holy Spirit and who are doing all of these things for the glory of God. May these be the things that pull strong in our veins. And friends, if you would just be praying this on behalf of our church, if you agree with this, would you say out loud amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. We look forward to what's ahead.